Let's face it, we syndicate not just because it's fun, but because we want to make money. And not just money for our investors, but money for ourselves. And the work that you put in as a syndicator should be paid and you should be paid well. But any complexity that comes in on fees or promote will start to scare away investors. So we're going to go through the different ways that you get paid, whether that's through fees or broker fees or the promote. Setting this up right and understanding this when you start putting a deal together leads us into a conversation that we'll have in the next uh, module talking about financial analysis. But right now we need to understand what the whole gambit is in terms of fees in order to be able to have those conversations with investors and know that we're going to be not wasting our time in putting this deal together. When it comes to fees and promote, I have seen some pretty complicated setups. Uh, one of the things that we share on through our Altitude Syndication Founders Club is we went through a whole bunch of PPMs uh, that had all of the fees laid out and had all of the promote laid out so that we could see that whole big range that exists between good and bad and what some people are charging and what others aren't to try and see what kind of what kind of mechanisms exist out there. Now, I've seen what works and I've seen what doesn't work and I've heard from investors what they're looking for and I've heard from investors what they've gotten scared by. You would be very surprised at what some of the top syndicators are getting being incredibly generous for themselves and also some great syndicators that leave significant amount of money on the table and don't take that for themselves that they totally could. So let's dive right in and start talking about fees first. When it comes to fees, uh, I well, let's add a little bit broader topic. I like to break this up into three different categories. We have fees, we have broker fees, and we have um, the promote. I do this because fees are what you earn on a recurring basis for the work that you put in as the deal is going and after, you know, after it's closed, all that money that you'll be making. There's also money that takes place at the very beginning, but this is for your direct labor. You can think of this as your income, right? Income and wages. You were basically hiring yourself uh, in order to do these things at whatever that rate is. The broker fees, I think of sort of as a bonus. So it's a crossover between what you do as a syndicator and what you may be doing as a real estate agent. So this can add a significant pop to, the, to what you get uh, in terms of uh, income. Um, but it is also still your income and wages. 
And then the third category is the promote. And so I call it the promote. Uh, this is the money that you're making basically on the equity of the deal. It's the participation that you're getting as part of the, uh, of doing that deal. So let's look at them in, uh, let's look at how these kind of play out. So fees, we're just going to list out a bunch of common fees that people get. And I'll give you a, a, a basic range, but again, these, the fees, the broker fees and the, uh, the promote are radically different from deal to deal. There are some that are so different, it would be hard to encapsulate it in the same scheme that we're talking about here, um, but are totally doable. And some syndicators have been very successful at making a significant amount of money. So the first and probably the easiest to think of fee that, uh, that exists is property management fees. And I should also say that any of the fees we're talking here do not need to be charged. So these are all your options that exist. It isn't anything that you have to take or that will necessarily even work with your deal. So property management fees. Now this is the day-to-day -day operations of the property, collecting rents, making sure that CAMs are getting uh are getting paid, that work is being done, making sure there's any, any tenant concerns or repairs are getting done, all those things that a property manager does. Typically, this is between 3 and 5% of gross income, um, but it depends on property type. Um, that's the typical property management fees. Yours could be higher or lower. Often very closely related to property uh, management, is your construction fees. And this oftentimes in an existing building is managing your TIs and capital improvements. Now I see most of the time, I guess between five and 10%, I should put a percentage here. Gross income. Uh, five, five to 10% of construction budget. Normally, this is hard costs. Uh, then we have your asset management fees. Now, this is for the work that you do as a syndicator. So it's, you know, making sure that the accounting gets done, the communications with investors, all those things that we do as in order to run the asset or the portfolio of assets. Typically, this is between one to 2% of NOI, or I've even seen it as like 0.5% to 1.5% of the equity. Now, typically this will be much higher, um, but it, it really boils down to your deal and what you think makes the most sense. Uh, you know, if I would, we'll talk about how to come up with these numbers in the financial analysis section, um, but this is, um, this is the typical range for that. Now, a lot of times there is an acquisition fee 
and the acquisition fee is for all that work that takes place as the buyer of the property. You still have to coordinate all of your inspections and make sure all the things get set up that need to get set up. A lot of times this is one to 2% of the purchase price. And this is very common. A lot of times too, I'll see the acquisition fee charged and then sunk back into the investment to buy you equity in that deal, uh, to buy you your own membership units. Um, so it's money that's, that's paid, but it's not paid as cash that you necessarily put in your pocket. And with any of these, you really have that choice as well. Be a little bit different on the recurring things, but your acquisition fee absolutely could be. Then you have a disposition fee. And this is also one to 2% of sales price. And this is putting together all the due diligence materials and helping to select the, um, uh, who's going to be the buyer. And then uh, lastly is your finance fee. This is a little bit less common. It definitely is, it takes place, but maybe it's in maybe 25% of the deals that I see. Um, so it's not a huge number, uh, but it is, it's certainly not uncommon. And this is oftentimes 1% of the loan amount. And this could also be looked at as a kicker in order to say, um, you know, in exchange for me signing on the loan, I get this additional money as well. So I get that 1% because I'm signing on the loan. Um, so those are the typical fees that we see. Now I like to separate that from broker fees because they're kind of different right? Fees as a syndicator is you as a syndicator, whereas your real estate agent fees, those are fees that you are making as a real estate agent. So you can be wearing two different hats at the same time. Um, as a, a broker or real estate agent, I mean, we've got our acquisition, our acquisition fee. Our disposition fee. and our leasing. Now, a lot of people ask, is it okay, isn't it a conflict of interest to be taking a real estate commission at the same time that I'm, I'm taking the um, uh, money as a syndicator? It absolutely is a conflict of interest. However, that doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to disclose it and make sure it's really clear all the money that you're going to be getting as a syndicator so that way the investor can make an informed decision for themselves whether or not to make that deal. They know where it is. But still, you should act as a fiduciary first to your, uh, to your investors and then you can think about those fees for yourself. At the end of the day, you do need to make money, but you gotta do it in a fair way and you are a fiduciary first. So um, in terms of acquisition fee, you probably know this, this tends to be one to 3% per side. Um, it is probably a little disingenuous to do an acquisition fee in, uh, to take from a seller of a property 
to for a selling agent and to be the buyer's agent. So basically to double end the deal. Uh, the way I've done this in the past is I didn't take an acquisition fee when I represented a seller. I just took a much, much larger uh, oops, acquisition fee in order to make up for those real estate agent fees. So that's how I did it. Um, that way the seller didn't feel like I was taking advantage of them uh, by asking for a, a real estate commission because I really wanted that deal. Um, so I did it in through there, uh, disclosed everything, of course, and made sure that everybody knew, look, I'm not going to be making a real estate commission. And so I am going to be charging, uh, I think I charged 4% uh, of the purchase price as an acquisition fee uh, on that end. And at the time of disposition, I would be selling that property and repping uh, as, uh, you know, according to market rates, which is one to 3% per site. Now, is it uh, ethical to double uh, end a deal on the disposition? Probably not, but uh, really uh, take a look at your local rules. It probably isn't uh, uh, equitable in order to do that. Now, you can double-end the deal sometimes if the buyer is not represented and lets you just take the total commission. And then there's your leasing uh, commissions as well, which uh, runs hugely depending on what kind of property it is. But really, we're looking at 2 to 3% of the total lease value for your side uh, as the, uh, the owner's side. These are the typical fees that we see in a syndication. Now, when it comes to promote, promotes can get extremely complicated with waterfalls with 13 different levels and 42 different share types and classes and subclasses. I think, uh, my opinion, I think it gets overly complicated and the more overly complicated you make it, uh, the more it's going to scare investors off. But here is the, the three ways that I see the promote most often. The first is my favorite, and I call it the sponsor's equity. This is basically you getting a share of the deal right from the get-go. So say there is a building that you're buying and you've got three investors and you rather than splitting this out a third, a third, a third, sponsor's equity basically says, okay, in this scenario, it would be something like, well, we're actually going to give the sponsor 10% equity in the, in the deal from the very beginning. And so the, uh, the investors are all getting 30% rather than the 33%. 
what this does, uh, just so we're clear, is it front loads all of the in all of the money to you. So there is no downside risk to you because you've gotten 10% of the value of that property from the very, very first day. So just know that going in because your investors will probably ask you about it. And they certainly have asked me about it when I do these kind of deals. And I'm very upfront about it. I do not hide it whatsoever. Um, and the reason why I can do this is because this property that I've identified here is a really good property. It's worth significantly more than the very day that we're buying it. And so I've put in all this work in putting this deal together. And so therefore I'm entitled to get that property. I'm also incented to make sure the property is run as efficiently as possible in order to maximize the uh, investment, not only for you, but my interests are completely aligned because I want that, uh, I want that property as well. Um, so the second way to do it is what I call the harvest promote. And in a harvest promote is very similar, but let's say at the time of disposition is when we see it the most. So at the time of disposition, we return back to the investors, the amount of capital that they paid in, right? So, We return that capital and then we pay 10%, for example, if that's what the amount is, of the rest of the money, of the total profit to you, the syndicator, And then we split the remainder. So we'll put that in the net. That's the remainder. To your investors. So this is a good deal because it take it gets you paid right away, no matter what, on the appreciation of the property. So you are more in line than uh, than other structures, uh, but then you are still returning that capital. So it's not the 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 ten percent basically free money that you're getting right here. Um, it's it's ten percent of that profit that takes place there. Now, can you do both the Harvest Promote and a sponsor's equity at the same time? Absolutely. Uh, it would look something like, well, I'm going to get 10% of the shares uh, in exchange for it, and I'm going to get also 10% of the income after the contributed capital gets paid back. Most of the time when we do it, uh, by combining it, we'll say give a, um, a, a different buy-in amount. So say... I will buy in for 5%, but I'm actually getting 10%. So I'm getting a discount on that amount. So basically I'm getting sponsors equity of 5% there. Um, and then uh, as, a, as a 
something on top, then I get 10% of the money here. So then I'm still getting that 10% kickback that I bought for 5% that took place here as part of that capital return. But then I also am getting this uh, syndicator, uh, this 10% of the net as my harvest promote. And the third is your preferred return and or waterfall. I don't really break these out um, because uh, although extremely common, probably way more prevalent than the other two mechanisms, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Typically what you'll do is you'll say, you've got this building uh, at the time of sale, or actually really at any time, uh, eight per, uh, let's say I have an 8% pref. Uh, my clients, make I make sure that they get 8% off the top right away um, of their contributed capital as on an annual basis, so 8%. And then anything that's left, so say there's an additional 2%, gets split 50-50. And then a 50-50 split. This is where people get really, really complicated. And I don't think it really does anybody much good in my own personal opinion. You may decide otherwise, and you're perfectly welcome to do it. Uh, I just found it gets so confusing with investors seeing too many numbers. They just don't get it. And it, it to me, it, it scares investors away. Uh, your mileage may vary. And so something like that may look like, okay, well, there's going to be an 8% um, an 8% preferred return. And then everything, um, from, from the eight to 10%, uh, and that that's just a straight across the board preferred return. Everything on the eight per eight to 10% preferred, um, range. So as soon as we get above eight and we get 10% on the deal, then we've got a split of say, 80% to the investor and then, and 20% to syndicator. And then maybe from 10 to 12, maybe it's 65% to the investor, um, 25 to the syndicator. Uh, I'm sorry, 35 to the syndicator. And then anything above 12, it's split 50-50. To me, that just gets way too complicated and um, uh, and just makes more of a mess than anything else. It, it Investors get really confused unless you have a CPA or a finance majors or engineers as your uh, investors, they, they probably won't like it getting this complicated. This isn't bad. This makes sense. This is what they see every day anyway. Um, so those are totally acceptable. Uh, just be cautious when you start getting uh, too complicated because it just doesn't do a lot of good. So uh, think about what makes the most sense for you and for your investors and 
because you're going to be using these numbers when we do our financial analysis so we can try and find a deal that you can uh, really put together that will make you as much money as possible but also has a good fit with your founder investment theory or a fit with your fit and also something that your investors would be naturally drawn to and want to invest into.